Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight, bringing you another great episode of Talking in Circles. We're breaking down the Foxwood Resort Casino 301 from yesterday's race at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Kevin Harvick, his sixth win of the season, a career high for him, his 43rd win of his career. We'll talk about that. A little bit of controversy with Kyle Busch, plus Eric Amarola, what a run he had. We'll talk about that. Uh, also, the NASCAR Xfinity Series race. And we'll take your phone calls, 917-889-8280. Also, a little bit of news out of the Cup Series. A former legendary crew chief may be buying BK Racing. We'll dive into that and what that could mean uh, for that charter and for that team. 917-889-8280 here tonight on Talking Circles. But first, we'll talk about the recap. The Foxwood Resort Casino 301 with Kevin Harvick as your winner. 12, he only led 12 laps down. It wasn't a dominant win for Kevin Harvick. He was a top-five car all day, but we're used to seeing that four-car go up there and lead a ton of laps at, a, at, at times. He might not even have been the best Stuart Haas racing car at the end of that race, but at the end of the day, it's Kevin Harvick standing in victory lane for his sixth win of the season. What were your thoughts there on Harvick? There's a few Kyle Busch fans I've talked to, John, annoyed that Kevin Harvick thought that that move was dirty. I thought it was short track, quote-unquote short track racing, your thoughts on, on the Foxwoods Resort Casinos 301? Let's put it this way. I've seen Kyle Busch at Richmond where Kyle Busch was lucky to get out of there alive because he put the bumper to Dale Earnhardt Jr., knocked him out of the way. He wound up getting spun, wrecking, and Clint Boyer went under the two of them and won the race. And everybody was ready to kill Kyle Busch after that race because he had the nerve to touch Jr. I'm sorry, Kyle. You, you've laid the bumper to many people in your career. Harvick didn't wreck you. Harvick knew that he had to get a bumper to you because of the way the track was. You, it was the right thing to do. Your goal is to win. He didn't, he didn't put you in a wall. He didn't spin you out. He still gave you the opportunity to come back and get him. But he made the move where he thought, where he wanted to make sure he had enough time to build a lead because if you got to the last lap and your tires were worn and you didn't have a chance to get there, It's a whole different thing. I think Harvick did the right thing. And without a doubt, Kevin Harvick was not the best Stuart Haas racing car on Sunday. Eric Almirola was. And two things bit him in the ass. They had a a slow uh, left front on the pit stop, which put him out third, coming where they went in with the lead. And then Almirola spun his tires on the restart, and he wound up dropping back to seventh or eighth, wound up working himself back to third. But it was a great race by Eric Almirola, and it's I love that he's ticked off that he, he finished third. A lot of times, I mean, I was reading somewhere, I was reading in USA Today today, 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 I love that. Um, they were comparing Eric Almirola's year at Stuart Haas Racing to Danica's career. Eric yeah. Almirola in three quarters of a season has more top fives and more top tens than Danica Patrick had in five years in the 10 car. If that doesn't tell you that Danica Patrick was overmatched or 
wasn't completely invested or had too many fire, I mean, too many irons in the fire. And Eric Almirola, he's a good driver. Nobody really knew how good he could be because he was driving for Richard Petty Motorsports. He was driving for Bobby Ginn back in the day. He never really got a shot. Now he's got top-notch equipment and he's delivering it. I'm glad he's ticked off that he finished third. I'll tell you, if he didn't open up eyes for people at Chicagoland, he did yesterday because he went up there and at times of that race, you're going, well, Eric Amarola, I mean, he was a top-five car. You go, eh, he's a top-five car. He went up there past Kevin Harvick for the lead, and you're like, whoa, who's in that 10 car again? I mean, it's not that Amarola was a bad race car driver. I remember when he was hired at Richie Petty Motorsports originally, and a lot of people kind of scratched their head because he was an unknown name and said, Eric Amarola for the 43? Why? And the people of that organization at the time basically said, listen, he drove – if you remember, Casey Kane left for Red Bull Racing a little early in his tenure there. And Amarola came in and filled in the last four or five races of that season, and RPM was very, very impressed with Eric Amarola. And they said, if we ever get the chance to hire this kid, we're going to do it because we were very impressed. So back then, that's probably 2009, 2010, around that time, people – very – you know, uh, good and smart people in this sport thought Eric Amarola could really drive a race car. Uh, and you're right, he never had the equipment. I think we're seeing where that 43 car was the last couple of years. Bubba Wallace got off to a really, really hot start this year, had a couple of nice top 20 finishes. Since then, it seems like the 43 has been out to lunch. Again on Sunday, not a great run for him. You know, this year he's only got two top 10 finishes. He's currently ninth, uh, excuse me, 24th in the standings. So, you know, maybe that's where that 43 car is. And Amarola almost made a, cha- made a chase one year, then almost made it again the following year. So, but this kid can drive a race car. I mean, he opened up some eyes. New Hampshire's a really, really tough racetrack. You heard a lot of people talk about how difficult that racetrack was yesterday. You saw one, some of the best drivers in the sport, um, you know, like Kyle Larson, um, who – really wasn't a factor yesterday at all. Uh, some of the best drivers in the sport had a tough time. Even Denny Hamlin, who this is his best racetrack, had a tough time there yesterday. Wasn't really anywhere competitive. So to go out there and do what he did, a very, very impressive run for Eric Amarola in that 10 car. There's no doubt about that. When Eric Amarola was coming up through the Drive for Diversity program and was a Joe Gibbs racing uh, Xfinity driver back then, I still believe it was the Bush Series, um, they went to the Milwaukee Mile, and the cups, the Cup regulars were out in Sonoma, and they were sponsored. The twenty car was sponsored by Rockwell Automation, a Milwaukee company. And Rockwell Automation wanted Denny Hamlin in a car, and qualifying was running a little late out there at Sonoma. So by the time Denny got to there, got to the track, Almirola qualified on the pole. He was leading by seven seconds. I was at the track that day because I was still living in Milwaukee. And guess what? Denny Hamlin gets to the track. What do they do? They call Almirola in on the caution, tell him to get out of the car. Thank you. Denny, hop in. Eric Almirola was credited with the win in the Xfinity series, but doesn't accept it because he was pulled out of the car and Denny Hamlin had to come from the back to the front again. Milwaukee Mile is a flat one-mile track, sort of like New Hampshire. And Eric Almirola opened a lot of eyes on that day, too. 
and just has not been in good equipment. And you and I both said at the beginning of the season, whenever the, or at the end of last season, when the move was made that Eric Almirola was going into the 10 car, and part of it was because Matt Kenseth was sitting out there as a free agent and putting, we kept saying, put Matt Kenseth in that car, it's going to do miracles. Eric Almirola's done really well in that car. He showed what he can do in good equipment. And we said that the microscope would be on him, that he's got good equipment. He's got to step up or he's not going to be there very long. And he's done a great job stepping up this year. He really has. And another driver I think you have to be really impressed with, at least that you saw something that was uh, really, really good last night and yesterday was Chase Elliott. I mean, here's a driver in this nine-car Hendrick Motorsports race team that's really struggled uh, for really this last half of the, of, the, of the first part of the season. Hendrick's really been out to lunch. Chase had a good start to the year. Um, and then really since, really I'd say Martinsville, even Texas, that nine team is really, if they finish in the top ten, they've had a good day. He led some laps, ran in the top five for most of the day. Another strong day, uh, or finally a strong day for Chase Elliott. Another strong day for Martin Truex Jr., who led 83 laps. Didn't win and didn't have the best race car, um, but another strong day for him. But I think if you're a Hendrick Motorsports fan, here's my question, I guess. If you're a Hendrick Motorsports fan or a fan of Chase Elliott, do you sit there and say, I'll talk this up to just a short track, and we have to really see what they do on a mile and a half tracks, or is this something that they could build on and build momentum to get ready for the rest of the season? Because yesterday, that was a really nice and encouraging run for Chase Elliott. I think it was a good encouraging run. I think it was interesting that uh, Jimmy Johnson got a top 10 out of it. And part of it, they got there because of uh, a move Chad Knauss made. They didn't take, they didn't stop under the competition caution. So they wound up staying out there, getting track position and getting themselves up toward the front. Cause, and you look, Jimmy started 21st and passing at New Hampshire is not easy. And to think about that makes it even more impressive is Eric Amarola started 13th. Kevin Harvick started 14th. And I still say they were the two best cars of the day. Um, Harvick had a great long run car. The problem was he was track position behind a lot of people. And it took him a while to get up toward the front. Kyle Busch had a great car. Truex had a great car. But you look at it, Truex was dominating there for a while. But Eric Amarola passed Truex while both of them were in the middle of the final run to get third place because Almirola came out in that final pit stop in fifth. So he passed both Chase Elliott and Martin Truex Jr. to get the third. And I bet if they had another 10 laps, Almirola had been cruising, fighting for the win. But in reality, when you look at the Chevys and the Hendrick Motorsports, it was a decent day. I mean, you've got Chase Elliott in fifth. You've got Jimmy Johnson in tenth. You've got Bowman in eleventh. And you've got William Byron in 14. So all four Hendrick cars finished in the top 15. But again, I, I look, I chalk it up to a mile track. It's a flat mile track. It has nothing to do with what they're going to be doing at the end of the year. Um, they're going to run, what, five of the 10 playoff races on mile and a half tracks. Well, take off the Roval now, so they're down to four. But it's still going to be mile and a half to survive. And none of none of the Chevys have shown they can run in a mile and a half yet. I mean, that's the first stage win Chase Elliott's had all year. Has there been any other Chevys win a stage other than um, Kyle Larson? I don't think so. So well, Chevy, I still I'm still not sold. Right, unless you consider the final stage of the Daytona 500 as a stage. I think you're absolutely correct that that's only been uh, 
Elliott or Kyle Larson. And, you know, a decent run for Ryan Newman yesterday as well, at least where he finished at one of his best racetracks. No doubt about that. Uh, he always seems to run really good at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. They got some track position at the end of that race as well um, and, and were able to keep it. Uh, so that was a little encouraging for them. They struggled mightily. Uh, Richard Childress Racing as a whole has struggled really, really bad this year. Newman needs some points to make this playoffs run. Uh, he, he got a couple, so a decent run for him. Ryan Blaney showed some strength early. Ch- Kurt Busch, I thought Kurt Busch had one of the better race cars. Uh, a, a tough pit stop there at the end as well for him. Um, he ended up eighth. Logano was decent, and you mentioned Jimmy Johnson, another decent run for him. Uh, what do you think of those guys, six through ten there, John? Anybody that really sticks out to you? I think Kurt Busch kind of got messed up with the pit stop. I mean, his crew chief, Billy Scott, told him to stop because he thought that um, the car pitting right behind him was going to come out, but they still weren't done yet. So it wound up costing him several spots on pit road. But Kurt Busch had a great car. He led 94 laps. He led more laps than anybody yesterday. I think he just got bit by that uh, pit stop. Kurt Busch had a great day. Started on the pole, running well for Stuart Haas Racing. I mean, again, the only weak link at Stuart Haas Racing, they have one car, Clint Boyer cut a tire and wound up going into the wall, which basically was the downfall of Eric Amarola. And Boyer feels better, worse than anybody. He said, I should have got off the track a lap earlier. I cost my teammate a chance at a win. Um, Ryan Newman, he does well at uh, New Hampshire. I watched him win there. He's done, he does really well there. Um, I think it was interesting, like you said, Denny Hamlin, it's one of his best tracks. He struggled like crazy, uh, pulled out a 13th place finish. One of the ones I want to say that a 15th place finish is a moral victory. I want to say Matt Kenseth. I mean, they were up running with the leaders at times. He wasn't getting lapped. Um, I think they made a little bit of growth in that car because, I mean, you look, Kenseth finished with Byron, with Hamlin. They were in the same pack, and he was up running 10th to 15th most of the day. And uh, even Jeff Burton and Steve Letarte and Dale Jr. talked about it on the broadcast. It's nice to see Kenseth running with the top 15 cars instead of running 25th to 30th, what they've been running for most of the time since Matt Kenseth has come back to Ralph Fenway. I think it was a great day for Matt Kenseth, um, a great day for Matt Pusha and that number six team. I think it's something to build off of. It, it really was a, uh... You're right, that car usually, if they finish in the top 20, it's a good day for him. Um, he was in the top 15 for most of the day, Matt Kenseth, at Loudon. And it is a step in the right direction. There's no doubt about that. There's still a lot of work to do. I thought Stenhouse ran pretty good. It's especially encouraging when you consider how bad he qualified. I guess one Matt Kenseth's better racetracks when he was at Bill Gibbs Racing, and they qualified 31st. And you sat there before the race, and you went, oh, my gosh. Matt Kenseth was uh, just ahead of Ross Chastain, and no disrespect to Ross Chastain. He does a great job for Premium Motorsports. He finished in the top 25, by the way, and had a good run for, for that team. But it's Premium Motorsports, not Ross Fenway Racing. So you sat there, and you went, whoa. Kind of surprising to see Matt Kenseth so far down in the starting lineup. Um, and they were able to work on a car and really get it um, a lot better, and, and a lot better and much more towards the front again. Um, a long way to go till he's winning races and dominating races like, like he used to at Roush Fenway, but certainly in the right direction. I even thought Stenhouse was having a really good run. He was in the top 15 all day until he blew his right front tire and really did him in. He ended up finishing uh, in the 30th position. They were able to continue, but 
Um, four laps off the pace, so five laps off the pace, excuse me. Uh, so it was a tough day for Stenhouse, but both, I thought, Rash Fenway cars qualified poor and were able to work their way up and, and run in the top 15 for most of the day. I was listening to the – during the rain delay, I was listening to Matthew talking to Claire B. Lang, and he said middle qualifying setup. Um, we didn't know exactly how the VAT would work with them, um, how the how it would end up working in the two grooves, what they wound up doing. And he said, we just missed it coming off the truck. But they made a lot of strides on Saturday. Uh, they actually were sort of encouraged going into the race. Uh, Matt Puscia thought we'd have – he actually said, well, I think we'll have a 15 car, and I think we'll be running toward the top 10 throughout the day. And it actually came to exactly what he said. They wound up with a 15th place car, and they ran toward the top 10 most of the day. So a lot of great moves on Saturday, a lot of work on Matt, by Matt Patricia in that number 16 to overcome the qualifying. And I don't remember Matt Kenseth taking any goofy uh, strategy moves to get track position. I think he worked his way from 31st to 15th. It wasn't like he took two tires and wound up blowing by anybody. I think they worked their way to the 15th place, which is a great day for Roush Fenway. Yeah, and I, I think they might have made some strategy early on in that race to taking tires when nobody else did and stayed out, but Either way, you have, to, you have to still run very good to keep that track position. You know, a lot of people did that and fell back on that. Um, and you have to keep, you know, run good to keep that track position. So, sure, it seemed like for whatever reason, and I don't know if it was a VHP or, or track fight, whatever you want to call it, the reason for that, but it seemed like tires played a, a bigger factor in this race than it normally does in New Hampshire. Both lanes were, I think, uh, racing, and it seemed a little bit easier to pass, for sure. I thought yes, uh, yesterday's race was really, really good. I thought it was a strong race. Nice to see drivers. He had comers and goers at times. You know, uh, Truex was fast at a time. Then he fell back. Uh, Harvick was, was behind at times. Then he worked – when the long run came, he worked his way up through the field. Um, you know, and it was kind of nice to see now. Obviously, track position was still a factor when Amarillo spun his tires and was able to work his way through. But, you know, he spun his tires a lot there and fell back to six. So I think that was expected. Um, but other than that, I thought it was a very good race yesterday. I don't know if it was a VHP in New Hampshire, the tire combination – or what it was, but I liked what I saw yesterday at New Hampshire Motor Speedway for sure. Well, the one thing that I didn't like that I saw yesterday, we looked like there was 50, it looked like the drivers and their families were the crowd yesterday. Uh, when I went up there, what, three, four years ago? Um, no, actually it was about six, seven years ago for my birthday, because that used to be the fall race weekend. Um, you couldn't get a seat. And now come one come all you can get in the you can walk yourself up to the best seats in the house because there was more bleachers disguised as disguised as empty people as there was crowd um and i think part of it is also because they took the race away i think the people in new hampshire saying hey you took a race away from us we had two we only got one why the hell should we support you and that's one of the things that happens and long rain delay too but i mean i it there wasn't much of a crowd at the Xfinity race. And then last year in the fall race, there wasn't much of a crowd either. And the year before that, there wasn't much of a crowd in the fall race. So it's starting to slide off. It's expensive. I mean, the cheapest ticket up there for the race is 65 bucks. And by the time you add in parking, everything that goes with it, and it's not like uh, Loudon, New Hampshire is close to anything. So if you're going to stay in a motorhome, I mean, you either got to rent that, pay for the motorhome lot, or if you're staying in a hotel, you're staying an hour away. So it really is a tough market, and especially now that they've taken it away 
and the racing hasn't been that great. I think that's been the best race we've had in a long time there because of the way they made the grooves work. I just don't think, I don't know how much longer that race is still going to be there. Well, I, I think it's okay. I mean, it's only one race weekend. I'm not going to be concerned about the, the Xfinity Series attendance because it's never really good anywhere. I, listen, I just thought this weekend was, was great. It was nice to see. You had a, a little bit of controversy at the end with Harvick bumping Bush out of the way, which I thought was clean, um, as, as can be. You know, I didn't think it was anything too vicious like we've seen in the past at other racetracks. Um, but, listen, you know, I thought it was a very good race. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, you brought up a good point earlier. I do think, um, unfortunately, for uh, Erica Marola, Clint Boyer's wreck, if you can call it that, uh, did kind of cost him the race there. It would have been awesome to see Amarola go up there and win that race. Um, but I think the biggest moment of the race for, as far as the playoffs are concerned, went to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. when he hit that outside wall. Stenhouse was running in about the 11th position. He would have gotten about 26 points on the day. Instead, he gets seven, so he costs himself about 19 points there. And right now he sits uh, 16th in the standings, 28 points back of Alex Bowman. Uh, a, a tough day after Bowman, who had some trouble last weekend at Kentucky. Um, Stenhouse what has trouble here and sort of even itself out. So now he's 28 points back. Uh, Menard's 29 points back. And then it's Ryan Newman, who I said had a really good run. He's still uh, way, way back. So I think it's between Bowman, Stenhouse, and Menard there for that final spot. Uh, but a tough day for Ricky Stenhouse Jr., no doubt about that. Well, one thing you and I talked about when we did the Sunday show or the Wednesday show last week was um, these tracks coming up aren't that great for Ricky Stenhouse. He's never been really that good at New Hampshire. He's not that good at Pocono. He's not that good at Watkins Glen. He's not really all that great at Michigan. The only thing he has coming up is Bristol that he's actually pretty good at. There's no restrictor plate race for him to uh, get himself in on like he did last year. But I don't see... um, it's going to be a struggle for Stenhouse to get in on points. Actually, I think there's still a hidden gem that's going to end up coming out of here. I think Watkins Glen is going to be a surprise. Um, one of the one who I'm thinking of for surprise Watkins Glen isn't there. My Watkins Glen surprise is going to be Michael McDowell. But there's still a surprise to come in. But right now it's the big three and anybody else who is uh, close in on points. Stenhouse is going to have to do something special. I don't think Menard's got uh, the ability to get up there because these tracks that are coming up, except for Pocono, aren't that great for Paul Menard either. Yeah, and it, they've, you know, they've had some flashes of, of decent runs here recently, but they haven't really been as consistent as you would like to see from that 21 car all year as far as being a major threat to make. And I guess neither Stenhouse, but Stenhouse, again, you know, he seems to have some bad luck there. I mean, yesterday was just sort of bad luck with that tire blowing the way it was. So uh, I I was a little bit, I wouldn't say impressed, but it was, it was. I th- he did better than I thought he was going to do, Stenhouse, yesterday. Um, and something we just again, I think both rash cars ran pretty good until Stenhouse got in that wreck. So we'll see. I mean, that's why they run the races, right? I mean, um, <laughs> we'll see here as the season goes along. Final words on the Cup Series event, John. For you at uh, Homestead Miami Speedway before we move to the Xfinity Series? Well, um, I still think that the move that Harvick made on uh, Kyle Busch, I mean, I think it was racing. It's no worse than what Kyle Busch did 
to Kyle Larson on the last lap of Chicago and no worse than what Kyle Larson did to Kyle Busch on the last lap of Chicago. Nobody wrecked. Everybody got pushed out of the way. Yeah. You used the bumper to get through. Same thing you would at Martinsville. Same thing you would at Richmond. If you're on the last few laps and you have a chance to get the lead, you're going to do what you need to to get it. And Harvick's, Harvick, Bush, and um, Martin Truex Jr., all they're doing is racing for playoff points. Because anything else doesn't matter. Those three are locked in because of wins. Those three, there's no chance unless somebody breaks a collarbone or something that they're not going to be in the top 30 in points. So all they're doing is racing for playoff points and position at the end of the year. And Harvick probably knows he's not going to pass Kyle Busch for the overall lead, so he needs to get more wins so he can make up the five points. It's going to be there between 15 and 10 for first and second. Yeah, he's 53 points back right now, Harvick, of Kyle Busch for that regular season championship, I guess you can call it, where you get all those uh, playoff points there. And you got to keep on trying. And, and that's why people, when they get, you know, a couple of weeks ago, people got upset when Harvick bumped Kurt Busch and ran Kurt Busch really hard at the end of that one stage. And I said, listen, Harvick needs as many points as he possibly can get. Right now, he's got more playoff points than Kyle Busch does. Um, and that's just right now, obviously, when the season ends, Bush will get more than Harvick, and they'll probably be very, very close, if not a little bit more, for Kyle Bush. Um, but 32 points for Harvick, 30 points for Kyle Bush, and 26 for Truex. That's the most – those are the top three drivers we've been talking about all year. Those are their playoff points. So that's huge for them, and that, that's a reason why a lot of people point at that final state, that those three and say they're going to make the final three at Homestead, the final four at Homestead, because they have a lot of playoff points to go on. So uh, Harvick's got nine stage wins and six wins, uh, four wins for Truex and six stage wins, and five and five for Kyle Busch. So uh, these guys are neck and neck. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if anybody, if any one of the three, win next weekend at Pocono, the following weekend at Watkins Glen, or the following weekend at Michigan. Uh, those, all these drivers are just so, so good everywhere we go. Uh, that's what's going to make this championship battle fascinating down the stretch um, and, and make these playoff points ever so valuable. I think these guys are fighting hard where if this wasn't, you know, if we didn't have the stages and the playoff points uh, and, and the way they've been, I think a lot of guys would be testing and trying to figure out some stuff for the playoffs where these three aren't doing that at all. These three are trying to get as many points as they possibly can get. And it's kind of, it's really cool to see because obviously that's, I think, had a lot to do with Harvick bumping Bush out of the way. wasn't just the fact that he was going to win, but he wanted those extra playoff points as well. Well, let's look at it this way. Kevin Harvick broke a slump. He hadn't won a race in six races. How bad is that whenever everybody's starting to look at Harvick hadn't won in six races and they're starting to wonder if there's something wrong with the team. And now he's got six wins this year, which is more than he's won any season in his entire cup career. And I don't see the winning stopping for any of the three of them. Yeah. I mean, especially with, uh, the OSS this year, the optical scanning system, I think it's level the playing field, and I think it's put you in a very narrow box to where you can't do a lot with these race cars anymore, and you kind of got what you got, and the only way you can get better is to build faster race cars, but what you got in the shop, the box is so tiny to work in right now, there's not a whole lot you can do to get significantly better, and I think that's why we've seen these three sort of dominate the way they have this year, is the fact that the OSS puts you in such a tight box. It was a stat they used on a previous show. You know, this is the first time that three drivers have over five wins this late in the season since 1974. 
Um, so it just shows you that, you know, OSS has really um, been an advantage to some people, and I think it's, it's put these guys in such a tight box. There's not a whole lot you could do to work on these race cars like you could anymore. So um, well, you know, I'm going to talk to a few people in a couple of weeks and really get to down low on the OSS and see if that's the reason why, or is it just these three teams are that good? Now, there's no doubt. These three drivers and these three teams in particular, Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers, Martin Trix Jr. and Cole Pern, Adam Stevens and Kyle, Kyle Busch, those are the three top teams right now in this sport. Um, there's no doubt about that, but every week one of these three are winning races, and it's great to see dominance. It's great to see those three go out and, and run, um, but I just think it puts – you know, you got you kind of stuck what you got, and it puts the season in a smaller box. And the only way we're going to see these teams improve is if they build faster race cars in the shop. And that takes a while for these teams to do that. It takes a while to to build faster cars in the shop. So uh, I think they could be dominating for a long period of time, at least through the rest of the season. You're absolutely right. Well, the one thing that interests me, I mean, makes it interesting, and you look at how this season has gone so far. Kevin Harvick has his six wins. Kyle Busch has five. Martin Truex has four or has five. But you look at other teams that are partnered with him. The only other team that's a partner has a win is Clint Boyer at the Stuart Haas racing team. Now, granted, Furniture Row is a solo car operation, but Denny Hamlin hasn't been fighting for wins. William, I mean, um, Eric, I'm sorry, Eric Jones does have the win at Daytona, but he hasn't really fought for a win outside the restrictor plate. Daniel Suarez hasn't been close to fighting for a win. Stuart Haas Racing, you could say there's going to be another car in that shop that wins. Kurt Busch or uh, Eric Almarola, one of those is going to get a win. I think one of the problems is we're seeing the dominance this year between the Ford and the Toyotas, and no Chevys involved. I still say that they built the car for the, the Camaro for the 17 specs and NASCAR did the change underneath the engine area and underneath the spoiler. And it totally messed the aerodynamics up because it, you look how it's always come out. Whatever team has come out of the box with a new car, it takes them a couple weeks to shake it down. And then they're dominant. Look at Toyota last year at the new front end. They just came out and blew the world away. Once they finally got their hands around it. I think the same thing with Chevy was going to happen this year, but they built the car for the wrong specs. Excuse me, NASCAR changed the specs after they had the cars designed and everything, and it totally messed up the airflow, totally messed up the aerodynamic, totally messed up the handling. And instead of Chevy getting their hands around it in the first five races, whenever they come back from the West Coast Tour, they make a couple adjustments, and boom, they're flying. This year, we're past the All-Star race. We're past the second Daytona race. We're on the second go around of racetracks and Chevy still doesn't have their arms around it. The only one who's been somewhat competitive throughout the year has been Kyle Larson. And they even said about it. They talked to Chad Johnson on, during the rain delay. And uh, Chad Johnson said, we tried to set it up as much as we did last year as the same uh, kind of setups that we had last year, try to keep the same balance. But he said, the reason his car is good Kyle Larson, he says, my I tr my driver can do things that others can't. And he said, give me a different driver. We're not where we are. He said, Kyle Larson has a way to find where grip is, find a way around the track that nobody else is using. And Kyle Larson is the reason the 42 car is competitive compared to the rest of the Chevys, not because something Chad Johnson's doing special in the world. 
Yeah, and that could be Chad Johnson being a little bit humble, but still, there's no doubt. I mean, um, you know, Larson's a great race car driver. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, I wanted to touch on something you talked about earlier, and that was Denny Hamlin. You know, Hamlin, we haven't seen him finish in the top five since the Coca-Cola 600 seven races ago. Um, and, and it just seems like that 11 car has just not really been where they wanted to be, especially when you compare it to the 18. Uh, I wouldn't even say they're the third-best race team on that team right now. Uh, I I hate to, to question somebody's job security, but, you know, Hamlin's a guy you look at and you say, he should be a championship contender. If Toyota's good and they got all their good stuff, which they're proving that they are over there, especially at Joe Gibbs Racing with the 78 and the 18, you know Denny Hamlin can really drive a race car. Now, he's had a lot of crew chiefs. You go back to um, the days where he had Mike Ford. He had um, Dave Rogers for a little while. He had – Darren Grubb for a little while, Mike Wheeler now. So there's a there's been a lot of crew chiefs over there at that 11 team. Um, but honestly, I just I've been surprised this year that we haven't seen more speed out of that 11 car this year, and and really seen that team perform the way that that we're accustomed to seeing it. There's no doubt Hamlin. I feel like if Hamlin's got and everything's going right on that 11 car, Hamlin can win anytime, anywhere. He's proven that he's won a lot of different racetracks. Um, but right now, I mean. Madden, like I said, was his one of his best racetracks, and they were they've just struggled mightily here. Uh, they struggled mightily yesterday. It hasn't been great. Kentucky was 16th place finish, only seventh at Chicago. That's been his best run of late. Twelfth uh, at Michigan. You know, it just seems like that 11 car has just been struggling here, just a tiny bit. Um, do you agree with that assessment? And do you think Mike Wheeler? or anybody on that team should be a little concerned that there might be some changes coming down 11 Carson. I'm not sure about that. I know Denny Hamlin wanted Mike Wheeler more than anything. That's why uh, Darian Grubb isn't with Joe Gibbs racing anymore. Um, Cause Denny wanted wheels. I mean, he said flat out, that's who I want to be my crew chief. And I don't know if it's um, that Denny and Wheeler just aren't hitting it right now. I don't know if it's, there's just something wrong. I mean, for once it isn't Denny Hamlin putting himself so far behind. I do believe he still leads the league in uh pit road speeding penalties. A lot of that does hurt him because he ends up going to the tail end of the longest line. If he gets a movement up toward the front and gets pushed backwards because of his speeding penalties, but I don't think he's had any speeding penalties lately. I don't know. I mean, one of the things I was listening about, and we're going to talk about the Xfinity race here pretty soon but Kyle uh, Petty and was on NASCAR America with Chris Devota and I forget who else uh, last night. And they were talking about Eric Jones winning his uh, back-to-back races. And they were talking about Eric Jones sort of being on the same trajectory. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, Christopher Bell being on the same trajectory as Eric Jones and uh, William Byron. Very competitive in the truck, move up the Xfinity Series. Really competitive in the Xfinity Series, boom, you're in cup. And Kyle Petty said flat out, cup is tough. If you're going to learn, you might as well learn there because what you're getting in Xfinity in the trucks doesn't really equate very much at all to the cup. Because look at um, William Byron this year. He's out to lunch a lot of times, and he's a really good driver. He's learning at the toughest level. And one of the things that they brought up is Christopher Bell – where is he going to go? Because he's, they think he's pretty ready for the cup. He showed it on Saturday when he ran great in the Xfinity series. Where is he going to go? Because there's no room at the end yeah. right now. Yeah, and 
that's why you, you, you question and you, your brain starts to go back to that rumor of the 95 car of whether or not um, he'll be there next year. There's a lot of talk I, I heard, uh, actually read today, that somebody said on Sirius Radio, somebody from Toyota came out and said that, that Bell won't be back in the Xfinity Series next season. So maybe they feel like they want to get that 95 car or whatever car he's going to go to um, a little bit better and get their people working on it before Bell gets in that car. The thing they have to worry about, and I, I understand where Kyle Petty's coming from, the thing they got to worry about, though, is losing your confidence. I think that's huge in, that, in racing. I really do. I think confidence is a lot, and momentum is, is a big, big deal. And you can lose your confidence really, really fast. I think especially if you struggle, and you struggle a lot early, you can get down on yourself. And if you, uh, you're the type of personality where you sit there and you go, eh, or you doubt yourself at all, you may never bounce back from that. So they've got to be really, really careful with that. I mean, um, Jones struggled with that last year. I, th- I feel like Jones was so – Eric Jones was so used to winning races that when he came to the Cup Series and he wasn't running very good, he was kind of like, oh, more, oh, man, can I really do this? Now that he's got the win, and even though it wasn't a win at Daytona, I feel like you're starting to see a little bit of confidence come back to Eric Jones going, I can do this. And he's run a little bit better. He didn't run great at New Hampshire. There's no doubt about that. But he qualified good. He practiced really well. Uh, the car just wasn't there. Um, and I think that's something to keep an eye on. Suarez, in my opinion, has regressed immensely this year. Uh, another, just, another tough day for Suarez at, at Loudoun. Uh, but, the, you know, he's not going to go anywhere. I mean, this is a guy who is a young kid, a diverse driver, 22nd place run at New Hampshire yesterday. Uh, but he's regressed mightily, and he's got a big-time sponsor behind him that supports him. So that he's not going anywhere. And Suarez could be a guy in a case where maybe his confidence has taken a little bit of a hit. But he, to me, John, he's really struggled this year. This is a guy who won his championship, his Xfinity Series championship, and moved the cup. Maybe they rushed him up a little too early. Got to remember, this is Toyota, the same people who brought up Joey Logano. And Logano, who has, has turned into a very nice Cup Series driver, really struggled in his first couple of years in that 20-car Toyota. So maybe they look at it and they say, we want to keep a couple more years of, of Bell, and another year of Bell and Xfinity before we move up the Cup to make sure he's absolutely ready because we don't want another Joey Logano situation where he gets three years and then he gets hired by another team and he becomes great. You could make the argument for Suarez. Suarez had two years in Xfinity, and he really had, at the year he won the championship, had a really good last ten races. Um, and then they moved up to the Cup Series, and you could argue maybe he needed another year of seasoning before he moved up the Cup. Last year he had 12 top 10 finishes. This year he's only got four. So uh, his average finish is down from 16.2 to 19.2. So it's been a tough year for Suarez, and I think he's regressed. I think um, Daniel Suarez is in the Cup race because Carlos – or Cup Series because Carlos Slim is behind him. Um, you notice whenever Eris came to Joe Gibbs Racing, they were looking for the fourth car because they never they said they would never do a fourth car until they had good sponsorship. So Eris came and they did Xfinity with Daniel Suarez and Cup with Carl Edwards. And again, we'll never know how much of it was Carl Edwards said, I want to walk away, or how much of it is Carlos Slim said, I want Daniel Suarez in a Cup car. We'll never know that because Carl Edwards will never say, Joe Gibbs will never say. And I think once Carl got to the house and said, okay, hey, it's pretty nice here. I don't have to worry about getting a concussion or anything like that. I'll just sit here with my wife and kids. I made a ton of money while I was driving. 
But you're right. I think Daniel Suarez has that ride as long as Carlos Slim wants to write a check that says Eris on it to Joe Gibbs Racing. The person at Joe Gibbs Racing, if I am nervous, I'd be nervous if I'm Denny Hamlin. Even though Denny Hamlin is a recognized star in the field, Denny Hamlin with the right setup, the right crew chief, the right car can do anything. The one thing is, though, Denny Hamlin's not Kyle Busch. And it's tough to be number two on that team. You brought up Joey Logano that Toyota brought him up early. I don't think they made a mistake bringing Toyota. I mean, Toyota wasn't the driving factor behind that. Joe Gibbs was the driving factor behind it because Joey Logano was a, any time he hopped in an Xfinity car, he was fighting for the win. And Tony Stewart wanted to start his own team a year out. They still had a year on the contract. So Joe Gibbs let Tony Stewart out to go start Stewart Haas racing. Need to put somebody in the 20 car. And Tony promised Joe he wouldn't take Greg Zipidelli right when he left. Greg Zipidelli tried to pit, put to, uh, Joey Logano into Tony Stewart's setups, and it didn't work. That's the thing where yeah, the and- regression of Joey Logano was. I don't think it was Joey Logano wasn't a good driver. I think they tried to make Joey Logano into Tony, put Joey Logano into Tony Stewart's setups, and it just didn't work. Yeah, it was a struggle for them, though, no doubt. And I think they look at that and they learn from their mistakes. Because you think about the drivers Toyota's had to get away from them in the last recent years. And not that they uh, rushed them up, but Logano's a guy who they look at and they say, well, he got away. Kyle Larson, he got away. They're competing with a lot of these guys for championships now. Uh, William Byron. Basically, William Byron, yeah, who's going to be a good driver. Uh, who they basically grooved and brought up through, these, through the ranks and put a lot of money into, and you sit there and go, well, you know, uh, we're going to be competing for championships, so it is tough, and, and I think they well, look at that, and they also don't want to make that, that same Clayton, mistake. With that, Clayton, I mean, you look, it isn't the first, just those three with Toyota going away. You look, Jeff Gordon, Ford brought him up, and then Bill Davis is ready to come to Cup with him, Rick Hendrick met him in an elevator and wound up signing a deal and bringing him over to Hendrick Motorsports. Casey Kane was a Ford driver. He was supposed to go to, he was driving the Xfinity car for Robert Yates Racing. There was no room at the inform at Robert Yates Racing, no room at the inform for Roush Fenway. And he had an out in this contract that if he had a cup opportunity, he could have it. He went to Ray Everham, Ford sued and lost. I still say Christopher Bell drives in the cup series next year. And it may not be for a Toyota. If it's a Toyota, it won't be the 95. I can promise you that because if you're bringing your young star up, whenever you said about the confidence problem, you don't put them in half-assed equipment. The 95 has grown. The 95 has done better. The 95 isn't Joe Gibbs equipment. 95 isn't furniture row equipment. And even if they buy their chassis and stuff from them, it'll take a while to figure out how to do it. If Christopher Bell's coming up, he's coming up to Joe Gibbs Racing, and he's coming up um, with Matt Kenseth's old crew chief from last year, who's down there being his crew chief in the Xfinity Series. If he's coming up to Toyota, he's going to come up to Joe Gibbs Racing, and it might be next year, and that could be Denny Hamlin's seat. If it doesn't happen, there's probably the out in the contract where he said, if I get a cup offer, I can take it. Kurt Busch isn't signed at Stuart Haas Racing. I'm going to stick yeah. to that back of my head thought until I see Christopher Bell driving a J. 
Joe Gibbs racing car because I still think that is an option that could happen. I feel like every year or close to it, and for whatever reason, we always say, well, we're not sure Hamlin's going to be back in that 11 car, and he always returns. And and listen, if Hamlin is, for whatever reason, out of that 11 car next season, he will have a job in an instant. I mean, there's no doubt that guy can race. He's a great race car driver. I just think the 11 right now is struggling. I don't know if they haven't really figured it out yet. Um, and, and maybe they're just a little bit away. They, they, they just on the edge. You know, I don't think they're as far off as the 19 team is right now, but they're off. There's no doubt about that. And we're used to seeing him win races and compete for wins. I'm sure he's frustrated. And Loudon was a big step of in looking at it and saying that is a sign because he usually runs really, really good at Loudon, and they just really struggled. And um, we'll see as the season goes on if they can find that or not. But uh, very, very interesting to see what's going to happen with Christopher Bell, who won the Xfinity Series race at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. It was the uh, Lake Regions 200 at New Hampshire. Bell was your winner. He beat Brad Keselowski. Then it was Ryan Priest in third, John Hunter Nemechek in fourth, Matt Tifton fifth, rest of the top ten, Brandon Jones, Justin Allgaier, Elliott Sadler, Cole Custer, and Austin Dillon driving for RCR. Um, you know, Bell's back-to-back wins here now. He is – he got off to a little bit of a, a slow start in that 20 car this year. Uh, I think a lot of people expected him to – especially when you looked at his truck series, uh, what he did in the truck series last year with five wins and 21 top 10 finishes. I think everybody kind of looked at it and said, he's going to come to the Xfinity Series and dominate. He got off to a little bit of a slow start, won at Richmond, and he's won back-to-back races. And right now, if you look at those playoff points in the Xfinity Series – He's got 18 playoff points. The next guy uh, who has the second most is Justin Allgaier with eight. So Bell's really distanced himself from the pack here as the playoffs get near in this Xfinity series, and he's become, I think, the favorite to win this championship. Two things out of this race. Um, Christopher Bell did a heck of a job because he had to beat Brad Keselowski to win the race. And Kozlowski uh, missed the driver's meeting because he was still practicing his cup car. So he had to go tail end Charlie, worked his way up, won the second stage, was competing with Bell for the win. The other guy who I got to say, throw my hat up in the air and say, hey, great job on is John Hunter Nemechek. Taking a car, finishing fourth. And he's had his moments of grandeur this year. He's also had his moments of I'm driving more, I'm driving over my head. But John Hunter Nemechek ran a good race on Saturday, finished fourth, didn't cause any trouble, didn't get anybody was upset with him at the end of the day. So I think those are the two big highlights of it, that Christopher Bell, it wasn't like he just beat a bunch of the Xfinity guys who with no cup drivers in it. He beat a car that came from the tail to the front and then wound up beating him in that final stage. It was a great run for Christopher Bell to be able to beat Keselowski, and it was a good race between the two of them at the end. And it was a good day for John Hunter Nemechek to pull out a top five finish in that 42 car because he needed a good day after the last time being out. He struggled a little bit. I think it was a good day for John yeah. Hunter Nemechek. Yeah, he did. I, I think you're absolutely right. It was a a step in the right direction for his season. And, you know, he hasn't had a great year in that car, but I don't think anybody expected him to be what Kyle Larson is in that car. You know, he's still, he's still got a lot to learn. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, a nice run in fourth. He was in the top five for most of the day. 
Uh, so a very, very good job and a confidence booster, no doubt about that, for John Hunter Demichek. I can't wait for Iowa this weekend. And Xfinity Series rate only, really regulars in that race. A lot of cool names. Casey Roderick's going to drive the 23 car this weekend, who uh, one of my personal favorites. Um, I can't wait to see what he's going to do. Something else to keep an eye on in the Xfinity Series before we move on to BK Racing potentially being sold. Something else to keep an eye on is that final spot in the playoffs uh, in the Xfinity Series. And we, went, we talked about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago, um, but the final spot in the playoffs right now is Ross Chastain at JD Motorsports, who's done a really nice job this year. Uh, struggled New Hampshire Motor Speedway um, this week. Uh, he, he had a, a tough race, ended up 26th, but Michael Annette only gained 10 points on him in 16th. And uh, right now Annette sits uh, one position back of Chastain. Now John Hunter and Nemechek in between them, but John Hunter hasn't run a full schedule. He will not get an exemption for the playoffs, so he won't be able to make the playoffs. Um, so that means Chastain and Annette are fighting for that last playoff spot. Still 30 points between Chastain and Annette there. Uh, and Ryan Sieg is not too far back from Annette. So um, something to keep an eye on as well as, as the season goes on. Who gets that final playoff spot? I think everybody else is pretty good. Ryan Reed is 11th. He's uh, over about 50 points ahead of Ross Chastain for that final spot. Um, so I think Ryan Reed's in pretty good shape there unless one of the, somebody outside the playoffs wins the race, which uh, the likelihood of that other than a, uh, a road course is very unlikely. Um, so that's something else to keep an eye on, John, as the season goes along. One of the things, like we said, uh, John Hunter Nemechek hasn't really been great in the 42 car, but the fact is he's run seven races less than everybody else. And he's 13th in points. So he's not had a bad season. He's got two top fives, five top tens and 11 series races. He has a stage win. He's led 54 laps. I think he's probably led more laps than everybody below him. He's led more laps than Ross Chastain, Ryan Reed, Matt Tiff, Ryan Truex, and he's 13th, seven races less than everybody else has. So I really think that John Hunter Nemechek is having a great season in the Xfinity Series. The fact that he's one spot out of the playoffs and he's ineligible because he's run seven less races than everybody else. Yeah, and I mean, that's for sure. Um, he's in much better stuff, though, other than Michael Annette, who's at Junior Motorsports. But uh, he's much better stuff than Ryan, Ross Chastain, I think Ryan Reed, even. So, uh, yeah, listen, he's had a decent year. I don't think he's had a horrible season, but I think there's still some stuff to learn. I think he would even agree with that. 917 889 BK Racing, they've been in the news a lot lately. Uh, they got you know bankruptcy. They took their charter away. A bank now owns their charter. And here we are now um, with some news about that team. Uh, there was speculation that Premium Motorsports was interested in that charter and that race team, but now it came out. Mike, Bob Pockers had this uh, a couple of days ago about Mike Bean, who is currently uh, the president of GMS Racing, has bid to purchase the charter and some assets of BK Racing for $1.8 million. This is according to bankruptcy court documents. Again, Bob Pockers from ESPN has this. Uh, Bean's been a crew chief in the Cup Series, been working in the in NASCAR since about 1981. Crew chief at Bill Elliott for a while. Uh, Richard Petty, he worked with Richard Petty. Uh, Ricky Craven, he worked with. He's been all over the place. Now working on CMS Racing. Um, he would be the, the owner of the team, but it would have an affiliation with GMS Racing, whose owner Maury, Maury Gallagher 
has toyed with going to Cup in recent years, but it has remained in the Xfinity and Truck Series. Um, listen, I think this would be a win for NASCAR. I think it would be a win for every guy who um, certainly knows the ins and outs of a race team, uh, is a smart, smart man. CMS Racing's had a – they've been very good in trucks. They've been very – they've been decent, a lot better this year in the Xfinity Series. Um, and they've got an affiliation there. Uh, what are your thoughts on Mike Beam here possibly purchasing, purchasing BK Racing? It would be nice to see somebody who has assets behind them. I don't think Mike Beam – I think Mike Beam would be buying it as a name only. I don't know if Mike Beam has $1.8 million to buy it himself. But to buy the team for $1.8 million is one thing. To operate the team is a whole different thing, which means he needs Maury Gallagher behind him. I think it'd be a good move. I think it'd be great to have another racer in there. I hope it's, I hope Mike Beam has Maury Gallagher's full support and Maury Gallagher's checkbook because either that or it's another Tommy Baldwin where it's somebody who really wants to race and does the best he can. And it's going to be a 30th place car. No difference from what BK racing is. Um, if it does happen and Mike Beam gets his hands on the team and it becomes a GMS racing, almost basically without the name for the cup cup level, I can see Casey Kane ended up in that car next year Yeah, because it's going to go Chevy. Casey Kane was linked to the possibility of GMS racing going to cup last Mm -hmm. year. So if there's, if it's going to happen, that's probably what would happen. And it would probably save Casey Kane's cup career because I'm not sure he's staying in the 95. And I think it would be a good thing because Casey Kane is somebody who the chicks dig him. So it brings the female (laughs) fans in there. Because he's got For that sure. cute face, and everybody thinks – I mean, Casey Kane's not a bad driver. He hasn't shown delusions of grandeur a whole lot lately, but he's a good driver. And he doesn't tear up that much equipment. And as they get started, he'll be helping them get going, and I think it would be a good move because basically it would be Hendrick, Hendrick engines, Hendrick equipment that GMS Racing does the same way they do with their truck and Xfinity teams. Yeah, and interesting, a couple more details about this. Uh, and this, again, give all the credit to Bob Pockris, who um, has really broken down this story uh, into great detail, and the details are excellent. Of the purchase price of the $1.8 million, $350,000 will be designed to pay BK Racing's employees' claims for past wages. Also, uh, the owner of the charter, his name right now is, excuse me here, Matt Smith. He's the trustee that runs the team right now. Uh, he wanted the, the purchase price to be at least $2.1 million. That's a little bit – Beam right now, his, his offer is a little bit less than that. Uh, he also proposes a deadline for competitive bids to be August 13th. So it's going to be a little bit while, a little bit longer before we find out. Uh, and a determination of the winning bid will be August 20th and a hearing to approve the sale on August 21st. So we're about a month away from hearing it. And uh, Beam said the charters and assets – we really worked hard to come up with a number. After the sale, Smith's job will determine how much each creditor should be reimbursed with the court approving any distributions. Also, interesting, something to keep an eye on. Separately, this is according to Pockers' article, Obeka Racing, which operated in the Xfinity Series the last, uh, a couple of years ago here, uh, which they've also agreed to purchase select cup cars and equipment from BK Racing valued at $382,000 for $650,000. For two hundred, I'm sorry. That is three hundred twenty-eight. That is three hundred eighty-two thousand for six hundred for two hundred sixty-five thousand dollars. Let me get that right. These cars 
that Obeka is racing are valued at $382,000. They are going to be purchased for $265,000 according to court filing. So something else to keep an eye on there where it might not just be Beam. This team is going to be separated. These cars and these assets are going to be separated into two races essentially um, with, you know, Mike Beam buying a lot of the cars and the charter and the rest of the stuff going to Obeka Racing, uh, which is something to keep an eye on as well. Um, Obeka, which fell out of, about last year, they fell out of the Xfinity Series for whatever reason. Be interesting to see what that team does. Might probably be a start and park effort, but something else to keep an eye on as this sale gets closer and closer here in the middle of August. I think Mike Beam also has sort of like the poison pen in there where it's basically right now it's $1.8 million, but it also probably has the bid in there that I'll go $1 higher the next bid. Every time the bid comes in, I will go up a dollar. One of those ones, like if you're at an auction house and you see somebody continue to bid whenever uh, they've got, they'll just keep raising their hand. I think it's, I don't think that's a one-time only deal. And I think if Mike Beam's involved in this, that means Maury Gallagher supports behind it or he wouldn't be doing it. I agree with you. No doubt about that. And a little bit about Victor Obeka, who ran Obeka racing. Uh, you know, the last couple of years, he's uh, run the Xfinity Series. He ran 2015, 2016, and 2017 in the Xfinity Series. Had a lot of different drivers. Jordan Anderson ran four races for him. Peyton Sellers ran 16 races for him. Dylan Kwasniewski ran six races for him in 2015. He started out, it seemed like that team was going to be a very, very big team when that started out. Uh, and it kind of just fizzled out. Stephen Light started in the park four races for him in the 2017 season. We really haven't seen him since. Paige Decker, uh, I believe that's the sister of Natalie Decker, the Arca Series driver, uh, ran two races for him at Iowa and Alcock Lake in 2016. So he's dabbled into the, do racing a little bit. Uh, but nothing too significant here. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, what Victor Obeka does with the rest of those charter, with the rest of those cars there. Whether it's a start and park deal, whether or not he's a driver who might have sponsorship that he can run in that car as an open team, it remains to be seen. But uh, so I think this whole BK Racing, listen about Mike Beam. I don't think you can go to a better guy. This is a guy. If you're NASCAR, you look at it and say he's almost like what Tommy Baldwin used to be, where. Tommy Baldwin was a was a smart guy, had a long career in this cup in the Cup Series, and worked his way up to own a team and had a fairly competitive race team before he lost, he couldn't find a sponsorship and didn't have a major backing behind him. Mike Beam's going to have that guy in Maurice Gallagher, and Mike Beam is again you can't find anybody better to purchase that charter in my opinion. Uh, the one thing with Mike Beam, you keep adding it up. Let's go through his history. You got Bill Elliott, who he's crew chief for, he crew chief for Richard Petty. He crew chief for Mark Martin in the Xfinity and the truck series whenever he was doing the partial ride and he decided he's going to do a little bit here and there. Mike Beam's been associated with most everybody. Everybody he's been associated with has won or been a Hall of Famer or been both. So Mike Beam would be a great guy to put in charge of that team, and which is what he's doing for Maury Gallagher at GMS Racing. Yeah, he was, he was, he was a big wig over there, Junior Johnson, before Junior Johnson shut his team down as well. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. We'll see you next time here, and we'll preview next weekend's race at Pocono Raceway. Good night, everybody.